Our days in the modern world, we go from sunrise to sunrise, so that makes a day. But for the Hebrews, it was sundown to sundown. So the day actually started the evening before, sundown to sundown. Now let's review where Jesus was kind of around the time of the crucifixion leading up to that. Mark uh, chapter 10 and Luke 19 tells us that Jesus was in a town called Jericho before he traveled to Bethany. Now Bethany is just two miles from Jerusalem. So from Bethany to Jerusalem, very short trip. But from Jericho to Jerusalem or Bethany, that's about 20 miles. So that's a major, a long trip. Jesus would have to be, according to the Jewish calendar, in Bethany before sundown on Friday. Because sundown Friday, that would begin the Sabbath. You could not travel long distances, a 20-mile journey on the Sabbath. Two miles, that's okay. But 20 that was not okay. So we know, according to the Bible, Jesus had to be in Bethany before sundown on Friday. So on the Jewish calendar, by the end, by the end of the day, um, Nisan the 9th, Jesus had to be in Bethany by that night because Sabbath began on the 10th of Nisan. Sundown Friday, Jesus had to already be in Bethany. So the next day, is Nisan the 10th. Now we talked about this two weeks ago. Nisan the 10th, beginning at sundown Friday, that was an important day because that was Saturday the Sabbath. But beyond that, on that specific Sabbath, because it was Nisan the 10th, all of the Jewish families all around were busy selecting their sacrificial lamb for their Passover, which is going to be celebrated on the 14th of Nisan. But on the 10th, they were selecting their specific sacrifice for, for that family. At the very same time they were picking out their sacrifice, God sent Jesus into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. You maybe remember that story. And Jesus himself is being presented to the entire nation of Israel as God's choice. This is significant. He is the chosen Lamb of God and he's being presented to Israel, which, by the way, is also the exact same day, down to the very day, the 10th of Nisan, that was predicted by Daniel 600 years earlier that Jesus, um, or the Messiah, as Daniel put it, the Lamb of God would be presented to the people. This is no accident. This is God's timing. And so this morning, I get an opportunity to jump in with Harley as he is uh, going to talk about a lot of this. So we're going to get an opportunity to tag team this this morning as we go into our third feast or festival that we have in our series of festivals. So as we move into the 10th day of Nisan, John tells us in John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says that the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. So we're talking about a king in, G in Jesus. But specifically, we are talking about a king in Jesus who had one purpose on this earth. It was to die. He was born and he lived for the purpose of of his death that is coming very quickly. Now this is God's chosen lamb, as Harley said, who is being presented 
and not only presented, who is also being accepted by the people. This is on the 10th of Nisan. So we move forward to the 11th day of Nisan, which is sundown on Saturday to sundown on Sunday. The Lamb of God, He is still on very public display in and around the the close proximity of Jerusalem. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus does a great deal of teaching during this time period. Many of His most well-known parables and many of His most well-known prophecies are actually during this period of time that we're talking about when He was in and around Jerusalem. Now the next day, the twelfth day of Nisan, which is sundown on Sunday to sundown on Monday, Jesus actually spends a very, very quiet day in the town of Bethany. He's actually in the house of Simon the leper. Now, we don't know specifically why Jesus chose not to really do anything on this day, but I think it's probably safe to say that he is preparing and getting ready for what he knows is coming for his crucifixion. He knows that's coming, and he's probably preparing for that by spending this quiet day in the house of Simon the leper. But while he's spending the time in Bethany, the conspirators are in Jerusalem, and they are in the process of trying to find out how to trap and how to put an end to this phenomenon that is Jesus. So another day passes. This is Nisan the 13th, sundown on Monday to sundown on Tuesday. Now that brings us to the 14th of Nisan, which is sundown Tuesday to sundown Wednesday of this year, of this particular year we're talking about. And this is the Passover day, the 14th of Nisan. All the lambs that have been selected back on the 10th are now going to be sacrificed on this day. And Jesus, God's lamb, the lamb of God, is also going to be sacrificed on this very same day. By Roman crucifixion. But before that sacrifice takes place. On Tuesday night. Which is still part of the 14th of Nisan. Tuesday night. Jesus meets with his closest followers. His disciples. And he uh, meets with them. For the Passover celebration. And in our New Testament. That is called the Last Supper. You may remember that. We talked about it on the first week of this series. And at this Passover celebration. That is where Jesus offers himself as the bread. And he says, take this and eat this because the, you know, this is my body. And he says, I'm, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. And then he also has them drink that cup of wine, which was the redemption cup of wine. And he's saying, this represents my blood. So he's saying, my body and my blood, that's, that is going to be poured out for you. My body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. This was a significant ceremony at at the Passover on the 14th of Nisan. And later, after the ceremony was finished, the festival was finished, Jesus and the disciples would leave. They would head out towards the garden where Judas would betray Jesus. Jesus would be arrested. He would experience that night several trials. He would be beaten severely, finally crucified Wednesday afternoon. Now, the preparations for the burial of Jesus had to have already been made because they could not bury him the next day because the next day was a Sabbath. So he had to be buried before the sun went down on Wednesday. It was a very special Sabbath occasion. The preparations for the burial had been made and Jesus was laid in the tomb before the sun went down 
on Nisan the 14th because the next day was the 15th. So at sundown, it is now Nisan the 15th. Sundown Wednesday to sundown Thursday. This was a special high feast because this was not a Saturday. That's the Sabbath. But this was a holy day, another Sabbath that has been added on this very special day because this is when the feast of unleavened bread began. Jesus, the unleavened bread, the sinless bread of life, now is in the tomb. So that was Passover, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, as well as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we talked about last week. So we're just walking ourselves through this calendar. We're walking ourselves through this schedule that God has instituted um, almost 1,500 years prior. And so that brings us to the festival or to the feast that we are going to be talking about today, which is the festival or feast of first fruits. And before we go into it, though, I want to kind of draw a comparison, draw a, uh, draw a, a connection to something that maybe we would understand in 2018, and it's something that I've actually been doing for the last, well, really almost two weeks. For the last couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to begin the process of putting a schedule together for youth baseball and softball. And it has been a challenge, to say the least. But I've had that opportunity to put this schedule together and to make it very, very detailed and, you know, to put the games and the matchups and the times and the dates and the locations and the field assignments and, the, and it, just everything that goes with putting together a schedule that several hundred people are going to be following. Very detailed, uh, very organized, and, and very specific. But I've set it down in a way that... I want it to be facilitated and to be followed through, kind of as an athletic director. And I've crossed my T's and I've dotted my I's and, and just everything that I want the upcoming 10 to 12 weeks to look like is in that schedule. It's in that calendar. And then as soon as I finish it up and as soon as I get everything confirmed and cross-checked and make sure that everything is exactly the way that I want it to be, I'll take that calendar... I'll save it for the final time, and I'll pass it off to a coach, to several coaches. And I'll say to the coaches, I'll say, this is the calendar that I've put together. And this is the schedule that I would like you to pass on to your players and to pass on to your parents. And this is what I would like you guys to facilitate for me for the next 10 to 12 weeks. And they'll take it, they'll pass it on to their players, and that's the calendar that we're going to go by. Very detailed, very structured and very strategic. That's no different than what God has done here with these festivals and with this calendar. God has put a very specific calendar together. A very specific schedule has been put together in his position as, like me, an athletic director, so to speak. And he hands off this calendar that he's put together to, in my case, it would be a coach, but in his case, he hands it off to his coach, which is Moses. And he tells Moses, Moses, this is what I want my people to do. I want them to follow this schedule. I want them to follow this calendar exactly every single year. And I want you to make sure it happens. I want you to facilitate it. I want you to tell them about it. And I want that to happen every year. And so that's where we pick up here in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14. This is us finding out what God has put into motion with the feast of the first fruits. And so we're going to just jump into the Bible here and the book of Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9. The Bible says, Then the Lord said 
to Moses. Remember, God's the athletic director, Moses is the coach. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land that I'm giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. So first crops, first harvest, first cutting. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil, and it will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. And then God goes on to say, Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on this day until you bring this offering to God. This is a permanent law. For you, I want this to happen every single year, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. God is saying, This is my schedule. Moses, make sure it happens. Pass it on. To paraphrase, God is saying, I'm taking my people to an exceptionally fertile land, which the promised land was, and I would like them to acknowledge that fact every single year in the spring. I would like for them to acknowledge with the first harvest of the year becomes available, the people should bring their very first crops to the temple so that the high priest can acknowledge them before me. So as a law-following Jewish family, you would take the first bundle of your early harvest and you would present that to the priest on this designated day, along with your sacrificial lamb and also your grain offering, and you would also be bringing a wine offering, a drink offering. All of that would be presented to the priest, and the priest would take your bundle of barley and he would wave it before the Lord and wave it before you as well. And that's called a wave offering. I know it sounds like no big deal, like well, he's just waving it around, but he's saying, pay attention. Take note. He's offering this to God. And listen to what he says, though. As he waves this around, the priest says something very similar to this. He says, this seed has died. And it has come back to life. And that's what he's waving. He's saying it has come back to life. And if this seed has done that, then so will all of the other seed that has been planted. Now that is very, very significant, what he is saying. He's saying this is just the first fruit. This is the beginning. There is more to come, much, much more to come, because there is so much more seed in the ground, and so much more seed to plant in the ground, that there will be a much bigger harvest to come later. So I would like you guys to kind of take that statement that the priest would make at the Feast of First Fruits and kind of put it in your pocket for a minute. Just put it aside, stick it in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to it here in a few moments. That statement that the priest would make as it pertained to that offering of First Fruits. Every Feast of Israel has a very historical context. In fact, uh, context is is important, it's very important to really understanding what the Bible is all about. We have to understand it contextually. And all of these feasts has a very historical context. In fact, the Jewish culture itself is 
paramount in understanding many of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament. And so if we think about this historically, what the nation of Israel, what the Jews have been experiencing for the years prior to the found been enslaved, in Egypt. Fruits, let's remember where they have been for over 400 years. They've been in bondage. They've been enslaved in Egypt. They had no land to call their own. They have uh, no, the, the ability to plant and to harvest and in something that is theirs has not been there because they've been enslaved. In addition to that, the previous 40 years, they've been wandering in the harshness of a desert, basically camping for 40 years. So historically speaking, we're talking about a people that have had no land of their own. And now God is saying, I am giving you this land. It is a very, very fertile land. And they are to celebrate this fact all throughout the remainder of their history. That's the historical context. But each one of these feasts is not just a historical context feast. There's also a future context involved. So that means that each festival is very prophetic in nature. So we're going to have an opportunity here in just a few moments to look at God's very 4D picture of Jesus through this specific feast of first fruits. Jesus says days leading up to the festival of first, just days leading up to his death. And just days leading up to the festival of first fruits. A very significant statement. It's in John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel which a kernel is just another word for a seed, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. This is a very big statement for Jesus here. Because Jesus is saying, listen guys, listen to me. This is important. I am that seed that has to be planted and that has to die. That's me. I will be planted in the ground because I will have died. But my death, just like what the priest will say at the festival of first fruits when the offering is made, but my death will lead to a giant harvest of new lives. Jesus is saying very simply, I'm telling you in advance, because this, this statement was made prior to his crucifixion. I'm telling you in advance, I am God's first fruit offering. It's me. So all of this festival stuff, as we move forward, keep that statement in mind. Jesus is the first fruit offering. Now, Jesus was a good Jewish boy. So he would have celebrated these feasts that we've been talking about every single year, as expected. Uh, so he would have not only celebrated them, but he also fulfilled them. Because remember, these are prophetic in nature. So Jesus fulfilled each one of these feasts that have already been fulfilled to this point. Remember, Jesus died as the Lamb of God on Passover. So the picture of that feast, it has been fulfilled. We can check that off. The feast of unleavened bread, the broken body of Jesus, the bread of life, it was placed in the ground, placed in the tomb, as the festival of unleavened bread literally began. So the picture of that feast, it has been fulfilled by Jesus. We can check that off. And now we get to the festival of the first fruits the one we're talking about today. And this is what Jesus said about it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and for three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and for three nights. And Jesus was three days and three nights in the tomb. 
Let's look at those days very quickly. Day one in the tomb. It's nice in the 15th. It was sundown on Wednesday, just after Jesus was crucified. And it lasted from sundown Wednesday to sundown Thursday. And that was the start, as we said, of this very special high Sabbath feast of unleavened bread. And now Jesus, the bread of life, is in the tomb. And Jesus was placed in the tomb just prior to the sun going down. So that's when he spent his first full night and his first full day. So beginning on the 15th of Nisan, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, day one. Day two, in the tomb. Nisan the 16th. Sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. And on this day, the women are preparing the spices for Jesus' body. Day three in the tomb. Nice in the 17th, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. This, again, is a Sabbath day. It's the seventh day Sabbath, the end of the week. Everyone is resting on this day. Nobody is, uh, is working, moving about much. And on this night, Jesus' body lay in the grave for the third night after his crucifixion. Three days, three nights. Nisan the 18th, sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday. This is what we would call a Sunday. And on this day, he is risen. Sometime after Saturday evening, the start of Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. He was in the grave for three days. And for three nights, exactly like he prophesied, exactly like he said would happen. Three days and three nights. And on Sunday morning, when the women went to the tomb with the burial spices to continue the, the ritual of burial, they find the tomb empty. Now, this day that Jesus walked out of the tomb is no ordinary day. You're sitting there, I know, and you're thinking... No kidding. Obviously, this is not an ordinary day. This is the day that our entire, uh, our entire belief system is built around, the resurrection of Jesus. And that's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. You've missed the festival of the first fruits and how this all has worked together in God's calendar because God gave us this picture in advance. You see, the Sunday morning that Jesus literally walked out of the tomb was the start, day one, of the festival of first fruits. It was, that was the day. It's not just any random Sunday that has been chosen. This is a day chosen 1,500 years prior that we are aware of. Of all these festivals that we've been talking about, they're all designed on God's calendar. And it's all designed as a picture of God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus. So just a few moments ago, I asked you to kind of stick something in your pocket, recall uh, what the priest would say, because we're going to come back to it. Well, remember, the priest would say on day one of the festival of first fruit, has died and come back, the priest would say something to the effect of, if this seed has died and come back to life, so will all the other planted seeds. That was... Part of the process. And remember, what day is today? This is Resurrection Sunday, absolutely. But this is also day one of the Festival of First Fruits. And the priest would be saying this many, many times. If this seed has died and come back to life, so will all the other planted seed. That very Sunday is the Festival of First Fruits. Jesus himself was 
the first fruit. We made that statement earlier and said that we're all working, everything we're talking about is making sure you understand that the first fruit offering that we're talking about is Jesus. The seed that had to die and be planted so it could come back to life. The seed that would be harvested first on the festival of first fruits is Jesus. Resurrected to life is proof that there would be a much greater harvest coming. A harvest for all those who would die in Him. Now, the next part um, of the story, or the next part of the historical event that we've been talking about, sometimes this gets glossed over. Because remember, the festival of first fruits, when Jesus rose, the Bible says that there are others that were resurrected as well. Others walked out of the grave. We skip over that. And, and I'm guilty of that as well. I know when I, uh, the, the Passion Week, and we, we talk about Palm Sunday, and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we talk about uh, the Passover and the Last Supper, and we talk about Jesus' crucifixion and His burial, and then we get to His resurrection, and everybody's just, yeah, Resurrection Sunday, it's Easter. Woo! And that's it. We just kind of leave it alone. We leave it at that. That's the climax of the story, right? That's it. That's it. But we don't continue with the story, which is very important. Because the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27 that something miraculous happened. All within God's plan. All within the calendar. Matthew chapter 27 verse 52, the Bible says that the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Verse 53, they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection. After the first fruit went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many. We don't talk about that. We, we, we stop at resurrection. We don't continue on to the resurrections that happen after that. Christ was the first fruit offering of God. We've made that very clear. Jesus was the very first to walk away from that cemetery. And as Jesus celebrates the festival or the feast of first fruits, as he would have done every year of his life, because he's a good Jewish boy. On that Sunday that he was resurrected as the first fruit, what does he do? He celebrates the feast of first fruits himself by offering to God in the form of these others who were resurrected too. Jesus did not bring grain before God the Father. We've got some, uh, we've got some grain in front of us. We've got, uh, I think that's wheat, if I'm not mistaken. And, and that would have been what typically would have been brought into this festival or feast of first fruits. God, or Jesus did not bring grain because farmers increase crops. And Jesus, he's not a farmer in this case. Jesus increases souls. And his harvest, or Jesus has his harvest in the souls of those who follow him. And these lives are raised as an offering to God. So with all of that being said, it's as if Jesus right here is saying, okay, I am the first fruit. I have been planted. I have died. I have come back to life. And get ready, because there's going to be many, many more that follow me. And that's where me and you come in. That's where we finally get to enter the story. Everything that we've talked about to this point has really been pointing toward Jesus. And it's been God saying, look at this story. Look at my calendar and see how I have planned this all out from the beginning. And it's all about Jesus. And it's all about his redemption for my creation. But now me and you get to jump into the equation. Now we get to talk about it because we are part. I am part of that many more to come. If I'm a follower of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, 
then you get to be a part of that harvest that comes after the first fruit. The Bible talks about it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this is Paul speaking. And he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. In chapter 15 verse 22 the Bible says, Just as everyone dies because we, are all, we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And then listen to this, verse 23. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised first of the harvest, first fruits. He was first. Then... All who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. God had this thing planned out from the very beginning. It's very specific. It is very structured. And it is very strategic the way God has put these festivals in place and how Jesus has fulfilled every single one of them. Now, one last thing and then I will be finished. There are seven holidays on the Jewish calendar that God commanded through Moses that the people must follow. There's seven back in the book of Leviticus. But today, in 2018, the Jews only celebrate six of the seven. They do not celebrate this festival we're talking about now. They do not celebrate the festival of first fruits. They skip it. Possibly because it is so overwhelmingly about resurrection. It is so overwhelmingly about the resurrection of Jesus. So this brings us to an end today. And I must ask, as we reach this end, today, this moment, what are you going to do with Jesus? Can you see him now? God painted us a portrait. Uh, it's like a 4D picture of Jesus creatively using these feasts and these festivals. God sculpted these images of Jesus using these celebrations many hundreds of years before he sent Jesus to even fulfill them. So now, what are you going to do with Jesus? Can you see him now? If Jesus was the first fruits, then that means this, that there's going to be a second, and there's a third, and a fourth, and many, many more to come. Jesus was simply the first. And my question is this. Are you one of them? Are you part of the fruit of God's harvest? Have you surrendered your life over to the care and to the control of Jesus? My hope is that you have. Because if you have, you will certainly be a part of his harvest. But if you haven't, you're not. Because he will only come back to harvest the lives who submitted themselves to him while they were still here on this earth alive. If you haven't submitted to him, you can do that today. And when you do, you are immediately his. You are immediately made part of his harvest. This morning, if you have not already done this, you can. So here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you these questions. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And for the sins of the world? And, and then he walked out of that very tomb alive again after three days. And are you admitting right now that Jesus is the new owner of your life? You see, you were the owner. 
But now you give ownership over to Jesus because he purchased you at the cross. And if you're doing that right now, at this moment, I want you to mark that on the back of your connection card. Let us know. So I ask you this. For those of you who have already submitted your lives to Christ, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with him? Are you following him every single day? And there's some of you today who have not yet submitted your lives to Jesus. And my encouragement to you is to keep coming back. Keep coming back and keep exploring with us the claims of Christ. And this morning, if you just now submitted your life to Jesus for the very first time today, I'm encouraging you, follow Jesus every day. And let us know today that you've chosen to submit your life to Him. Because we have some very, very, very important information that I want to get into your hands in the next two weeks. Let us know. Give me a good phone number where I can send you some information. I want, want to tell you one more very cool thing that God did before we close. This is, this is simply amazing. And I could use the word for me. This is astounding. You see, we've been talking today about the first fruits. The first fruits. And I want to read you a passage from Genesis. Listen to this. I, I, I don't have it on the screen. I just want to read it to you. Listen to this. This is about the flood of Noah. And at one point, the flood part is over, and all things begin to become new. And, and listen to this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. And the ark rested on the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains. For some reason, God's Spirit wanted you to know specifically, this is not just random information. He wanted you to know specifically the ark rested. It came to its resting place, it, it, indicating the flood is over. It's beginning to recede. All things are beginning to be made new. And he wanted you to know this date. It rested on the seventh month, the 17th day. That's when the new creation really began after Noah's flood. The seventh month, the 17th day. Now, why would the Holy Spirit want you to know that? And I think this is the answer. Because that's the day that we've been talking about. That is the 17th of Nisan. And do you know what was happening on the 17th of Nisan? Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Jesus was getting ready to walk out of the tomb. And here, God gives us this picture all the way back at Genesis to say, this is an important day. New things are going to happen. A new creation. And then all of those years later, thousands of years later, Jesus is preparing to walk out of the tomb on that very day, the 17th of Nisan. 
so that you can be a new creation. You can start your new life in Him. And my prayer is that's exactly what you're doing today. Christ is giving you a new start when He walked out of the tomb as the first fruits. And now we can be part of the harvest if we submit our lives to Him. Will you join me as we pray? God, I am so thankful that you are our first fruits. And way back, even in Genesis, when the ark rested on the 17th day of the seventh month, it gave us a picture of a new creation, a new start, a new life. And then when you were preparing to walk out of the tomb on that very day, God, you are offering us that new life. You are offering to make us into a new creation. And Father, I pray, I pray that we have friends becoming new right now. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, we pray these things. Amen.